everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Salt Lake 2002 Retrospective Podcast, a back-of-house look at the planning and delivery of the Salt Lake 2002 Olympic Winter and Paralympic Winter Games, as told by the very people who organized them. I'm Christian Napier, delighted to be joined today by Lisa Sams, formerly Errol, one of my favorite event people from one of my favorite continents, Australia. So Lisa, it's so good to have you on the podcast today. I look forward to catching up. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, it's really exciting to to talk with you after so many years, um, and also to relive Salt Lake memories. Um, I'm really good. I am in Gold Coast in Queensland, Australia, and we moved here about four years ago, and he is now home. So we're very happy where we are. Did you work the Commonwealth Games there in Gold Coast? I did. I, I moved, we moved up here in the end of 2016 and I finished up with the Australian Olympic Committee at that point and started my own business of uh, February of 2017 and managed to get a contract doing the operations for the Australia team, so Com Games Australia. Uh, for Gold Coast, which was awesome. Great way to start a business. <laughs> no, no doubt. Well, why don't you tell us, what is this business that you started? I'm excited to hear about it. So I have an event business called SP Events and Logistics. Um, and I really wanted to, I had a passion to work with good people doing great things. And I, uh, I, I moved to the Gold Coast for a number of reasons, lifestyle, health, uh, I've got a seven-year-old little boy, so we wanted a little bit more space for him to run around. And my husband had never lived out of Sydney, so he wanted to go somewhere warm and north. So we ended up here, uh, which has been a great move. And, yeah, just really lucky coincidentally that the Com Games were on um, to kickstart that business, which was amazing. All right. Well, aside from that business, I want to talk about that in a second. but. There's also this wellness thing that you're doing, apparently. So why don't you tell me about that? Yes. Well, if one business wasn't enough, I've now started another one. So I have two businesses going. Um, wellness has come about, I guess, and, and everyone listening to this will attest to when you do an event, it's all-consuming. And I dare say most people that would listen to this call have burnt out at some stage. Um so in the event world, there are often organizations that are set up for a short period of time. Um, resources are scarce, scarce, finances are scarce. You need to do a Herculean effort on a timeline that is immovable. And what happens to people is they work 20 hours a day for however long, and by the end of that process, they get very burnt out. And I think that's what happened to me at the end of 2016 after Rio. Um, it was an exhausting campaign and I renovated a house and moved from Sydney to the Gold Coast at the same time. So it wasn't just work, it was life as well. But at the end of that process, I ended up quite sick for some time. So I went on a bit of a health journey and when my husband uh, moved up here. He retrained as a personal trainer and came across a company called PH360, which is Personalized Health 360 Degrees, looking at every aspect of your life. Um, and I started to get involved and went on it personally for myself. Um, and it looks at epigenetics, so very personalized health for you. So my program 
would look very different to what yours would be because you're you and I'm me. It, it looks at the individual. And I guess I looked at it from myself point of view to try and get healthy. And I, I went on it just before the Com Games in 2018 and it was about three months before the games, I went on this protocol of what time do I eat? What do I eat? What time do I exercise? What, how do I best use my brain? And I came out of the end of Com Games and I did not get sick. And that was pretty much the first event that I've worked on in 25 years where I came out the other end feeling tired but in control of my health still. And that was a real eye-opener for me. Um, And I've since done Invictus Games and also the Pacific Games in Samoa. We lived there for six months. Um, And I haven't been sick for either of those events coming out the back end. So for me, that's a real eye-opener. And it was a really great personal journey. And I feel really fantastically healthy now. Um, So there's a corporate side to PH360 called Shea Wellness and it looks at individuals within a corporate structure and and how they function, how they can best perform and interact, communicate with each other. Um, So once you start to learn this information, for me I couldn't unlearn it and I couldn't not do anything with it. So hence the creation of Working to Wellness. And my passion really is I love the event world. It has given me so many friends, so many experiences, um, travel, friendships. And I really would love to be able to put the wellness side back into the opportunities that I've had in the industry that I love and try to help people produce better events and look after themselves at the same time. Um, so that's a real passion for me because I think if we're asking an athlete to perform at their best and we're asking them to get a gold medal, then the people that deliver that event should also be able to deliver a gold medal. And that means looking after their health. That means communicating in the best way. Um, that means mental health being, you know, a hundred percent. So yeah, that's my, that's my passion. It's so great that you actually are able to do things that you feel passionate about. I do have a question though. COVID's come in here and threw, you know, thrown a wrench into everything. So you've got these two ventures. You have a, a young family, a small child. I mean, what's the impact of COVID on the business and also on you just being able to maintain some balance uh, amidst all the uncertainty? Yeah, great question. Um So I guess from an event space, uh, everything that I was working on in March fell apart Um, and I was lucky enough to pick up a contract with the World Athletics uh, Cross Country Championships in um, uh, March, late March of this year and we did a lot of planning for that event but as COVID, I guess, put its stronghold on the world, it was... Um, increasingly obvious that we were not going to get 700 athletes from 60 nations to come to Australia in March and come August that event um, has been postponed. So it's actually great World Athletics have just announced the event will be held in uh, February of 2022 
So that contract will pick back up again. Um, I also do a lot of work for a business called Cargo Live, which um, are a freight company that do predominantly rock and roll, but they've been involved in sport of heavy movement of heavy equipment like uh, rowing boats, canoes, sailing, etc. Um, so I do a lot of work with them from a business development point of view, getting them in contact with um, sporting organisations. So that side of the business also fell down because their whole industry was shot as well. Um, in, a, in a way, it was a little bit of a blessing for me that I was quiet on the event space because the Shea Wellness training started in August. And that went for two months solid. So I was able to really focus on that part of setting up um, or, or training myself really and getting my head around everything. And two weeks into that, um, two weeks into that training course, I actually got a contract for a financial wealth company of 40 people to deliver a 12-month program of um, corporate wellness within their organization. So whilst I was doing the training, I actually was running a program of my own every week and delivering that for 40 people. Um, and, and just to give you a little bit of an insight, within 30 days of that program running, we do um, stress, anxiety and depression scores and we reduced anxiety in a period of 30 days by 46% across a group of 40 individuals. And a lot of those people were in Melbourne in severe lockdown. And it was really interesting that their mentality was, I'm stuck at home. I really can't do anything for myself because I'm here. What's the point of starting this program? And the turnaround in their health and their mindset from the coaching and the information has been phenomenal for that group and they are now one one of one of that cohort told me that it's the clearest her mindset has ever been and the healthiest she's been um, in at least 15 years so it was really really rewarding to actually help people when they thought that they were helpless because of COVID and the situation that we were in um, so for me I I get a balance by I guess the reason we moved here, SP, I don't tell many people this, but SP is sand and palm trees, which for me is a little bit of a take on work-life balance. And that always grounds me back to what do I want out of my career and what do I want out of my life? And it's really about that balance and health and working with good people that, that I strive for. That's fantastic. Well, we could talk about uh, sand and palm trees all day, but uh, <laughs> let's go to skis and slopes, if okay. we will. Um, and uh, we'll go back to the Salt Lake 2002 games. You mentioned that you had been in the business for 25 years in this event industry. I want you to tell us, if you can, just a little bit about that journey, how you got into this space generally, and then how you found your way into Salt Lake City. Yeah. Um, I, as a kid, just loved sport always, uh, was very active, did swimming, netball, anything really, horse riding, gymnastics. And I just always wanted to do something in sport. And I guess throughout my whole um, school life, someone would say, what do you want to do? And I'm just like, sport. 
And so I didn't know what that meant or what that looked like. And I went to university and did a Bachelor of Applied Science in Sports Studies. And I popped out the end of that and it was 1997 and I moved to Sydney and uh, there was a job advertised at SOCOG for the Olympic Games and I thought, that's me, that's what I want to do. So I applied for the job and it was in workforce planning in, in an area of HR. And so in I went 1997 into SOCOG, so uh, three, three and a half years out from the Games um and it was just incredible the the people the team what I got to do um and I ended up uh looking at so planning head head staff numbers for paid contractor and volunteers for the Olympics and Paralympics across all the venues um and then I ended up being the venue and accreditation manager at Dunk Gray Velodrome which was the track cycling venue and from there, we had some wonderful people from Salt Lake come out during the end of the Olympics, I think it was, uh, in between the Olympics and Paralympics and interview a few people. And I was lucky enough to um, have an interview and then be successful to get a role over in Salt Lake, which for me was just incredible. You know, my dream was to work in sport. I came from a little country town and all of a sudden I'd done one Olympic Games and about to do a Paralympic Games and I was uh, heading off to the next one overseas, Salt Lake. So I was a very excited young person back then. <laughs> did you get any break between Sydney and Salt Lake or did you just hop right from Sydney, you know, from the frying pan of Sydney into the fire of Salt Lake City? No, I did. I stayed home for Christmas. So we finished, I think, November from the Paralympics, if I'm correct. And then uh, I spent probably December uh, or end of November, December, just relaxing and um, getting sick and getting better and then flew to Salt Lake early January. Early January 2001. So 2001, yeah. Did you come into a similar role working in workforce planning or did you assume a different role in Salt Lake City? Yeah, I did. I came straight into the workforce planning department. And uh, I was one of the, I think there was maybe three or four other Australians that had gone before me, but I was definitely one of the first Australians to hit Salt Lake. Um, I remember giving a presentation to all the venue managers at one point and asking if anyone had any questions and they were, <laughs> they said, can you repeat that? We can't understand you. <laughs> so I had to learn how to speak uh, proper English so that I could be understood. Uh, at the very beginning? Well, I wouldn't consider the English spoken here to be proper by any means, but <laughs> I, I do understand that the accents are different. That's not the only difference. I mean, there are all kinds of differences between Australia and the US or Sydney and Salt Lake City. So what was it like culturally just coming from the Sydney 2000 environment? Uh, it's a larger games. It's a summer games to coming to uh, a place like Salt Lake City. It's a different country. The games are smaller. They're a little more intimate. You know, what was that like for you? Yeah, I love, I've, I've always skied, whether you can call it skiing in Australia or it's a bit more like rocks and ice, but we skied every school holidays um, when I was growing up and I went to uh, Canada for a season in Whistler when I left university. When I finished uni, that was my dream to save up and go to Canada. So for me, the snow had always been a, 
really important part of my life and to get to come to Salt Lake and do a winter games it was like amazing I get to go skiing I get to live in this awesome environment um so for me that was incredible um coming into Salt Lake into the HR team was awesome um there were some wonderful wonderful people uh, that I still keep in contact with one of my dear friends Holly Rasmussen um, and she really welcomed me with open arms and and really helped me in a lot of ways you know she used to meet me at the shops and help me buy food because there were different ingredients and I had to go to a doctor at one point and didn't understand the medical system in America um, so having people like that that really took you under their wing and helped you outside of work was really, really great um, and, and important to make you feel, you know, a part of the team and feel at home. And I guess then I, I love people saying, you know, can you hug a kangaroo or what does a koala feel like? Or you would get all those sort of questions all the time. Um, yeah, which I loved because it was new for them. It was new for me to have to explain it. And uh, that's what traveling's all about. Well, I've got two words and it's Tim Tams. Oh, Tim Tams. You know, <laughs> the people that came from Australia were wonderful. The Tim Tams they brought over were spectacular. So thank you on behalf of all of us. <laughs> Tim Tams in Salt Lake because you and your colleagues would bring them over. Uh, they were delicious. So you settled into this role. You know, what were some of the challenges that you faced when you were working in workforce planning there may have been different than you were facing in Sydney. And, you know, what were some of the creative solutions that you and your teammates came up with to resolve some of those challenges? Yeah, in, in Sydney, I was working for, um, I was working in the workforce planning program and I had a direct manager managing that program. When I came across to Salt Lake, I was actually managing the program. So that was different for me and a great opportunity to learn and grow. Um, we did uh, one of the biggest things that we achieved, and this was with the help of Alan Shaw, who was a, a consultant brought in to Salt Lake. And we ran a series of dot planning meetings, which I'm sure you'd remember, um, which, you know, grab every single venue drawing and stick a dot on it where a person's going to be. And not only that, what day are they going to be there and what time are they going to be there and how many shifts are they going to be there? And I think we clocked 350 meetings um, was the end result of the dot planning exercise. So that was enormous um, amount of effort and work that went into that, but it also gave us a really good base of what our venues are going to look like and, and how many people do we need to recruit and uniform and feed and, and what do those people look like? What are they doing? Um, so all of the functional area managers running each of their functions were incredible in being able to um, really identify what resources they need and what skills they needed. And it gave us an awesome base for moving forward with a really successful games. Um, so that would have been a real highlight for, for the work that we did in workforce planning. I want to dive into that a little bit more because sometimes that can get adversarial, right? You've got functional areas who are saying, well, no, I need all these people. You've got workforce planning who's trying to say, well, actually, you don't need all those people. And, and it can, and it can get a little bit tense at times. So, you know, 
you coming in as an experienced person, you know, how do you try to manage that dynamic and, and keep it from being adversarial and steer it to be more collegial? Yeah, it's, um, it's really, I guess, understanding from the functional area manager what the role entails. So each functional area manager is the expert in their area. Um, but it's also, and this is where venue management is very important, it's looking at the venue as a whole and saying, well, if that person's standing there and that person's standing there and that person's standing there, can they share that role? And it's bringing that focus of the collective whole that you can then apply to the venue level that um, potentially can't be seen at a functional area level because it's very specific. Um, sometimes they were heated meetings. You're, you're absolutely right. Um, and I guess that comes down to um, really asking the right questions around what does that role entail? When is it required? Um, how many people do you really need? What is each of those people doing? If you tell me you need 10, what do you need 10 for? Okay, that's what one does, that's what two does, that's what three does. So it gets very detailed um, and and plans can change in events too. So uh, one of my golden rules is 80-20, plan at 80% and 20%, you've got to be able to um, be flexible and adjust. And so if you think you need 10 people, then maybe on the day you might need eight or you might need 11 but we've got to start with somewhere because there's a lot riding on the number of people um, across every venue for the game. So relationships, um, I knew a lot of the people or Alan knew a lot of the people already in those roles, um, just talking, communicating. If it gets too heated, potentially we needed to have a break, come back and start again. So all different tactics, um, but definitely there were some challenging moments um, that we had to dive into. Well, you mentioned that you played a workforce planning role in Sydney. You transitioned to a venue role during games time. So what about in Salt Lake? You're coming in and workforce planning you're doing that similar function, although you're managing it now. What happens during games time? Do you go work on a venue? Yeah, so games time, this is um, one, of, one of my very few regrets that I have in life is uh, games time in Salt Lake. And I say that because I didn't actually stay to complete the games. Um, my mum got married in, I think, November of 2001, and it was after September 11. And I had just sort of finished the workforce planning piece and everyone was going to venues. I had been assigned uh, the venue, uh, venue HR manager for the E-Centre with uh, Alan Brooks and Karen Williams, John Pista. And um, I came home and for whatever reason that I've really been reflecting on last night actually, I didn't come back to Salt Lake to complete that venue role. Um, I think at the time I just was unsure of safety and there was a few personal things happening with me and I spent a lot of time on the phone with Brooksy talking about it while I was at home 
Um, and in the end, my decision was not to come back to Salt Lake. And I really, really regret that decision. Um, in the end, it was too much for me and I ended up coming back for games time. I jumped on a plane. I was over in Manchester working on the Commonwealth Games by that point and I just hopped on a plane and didn't really tell anyone I was coming and just rocked up for the games and I just loved it. So I was there for the games um, but, uh, yeah, I didn't complete that role as HR manager for the E-Centre. And you enjoy the games as a spectator then. I did. So I did a little bit of work, just kind of roaming around, helping people here, there, wherever I went. Um, but yeah, I was really lucky to come back and enjoy the games. Uh, I just had to see it after all of that work and see how it unfolded. And, and I didn't really get to say goodbye to people because I went home and didn't come back. So it was really lovely to come back and, and see people. Well, I'm trying to get uh, Alan Brooks on. We had uh, Karen Williams on just a couple of weeks ago. So it was nice to hear from her. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get him on. But I'm glad that you're able to come back as a spectator. Any particular highlights uh, coming back in a spectating role? I got to go to the opening ceremony and I was sitting in the stands and it started to snow and it was that open venue. And I just felt so incredibly proud that after everything had happened, that the games were able to go on and that I had been able to play a part in it and that I could see all of the colleagues that were incredible doing the thing that we'd talked about for so long and they were doing it and it was just incredible. It looked beautiful. All the venues looked beautiful. Salt Lake itself is such a stunning place, you know, the city and the mountains. Um, it, it's just really, really beautiful. And with all the buildings dressed in all the look, uh, it really was a sight to see. So just not seeing it getting built bit by bit, but coming back to all its glory, I think for me, I was like, wow, you guys have nailed it. This is incredible. Well, in no small part to you, thank you for helping us out and making <laughs> us on television uh, and for the spectators as well. I'm curious. So you, you, you left Salt Lake, you go to Manchester, you're working the Commonwealth Games there. And then you continue on with this uh, incredible journey uh, throughout events. Is there anything in particular that you learned from your experience in Salt Lake that you kind of took with you to future, to future events? I've never left an event since and I never will. I just, yeah, it just stuck with me. So if I start an event, um, it doesn't really matter to me what happens. I will see it through because that's important. The space is quite interesting because the cultures where these events are being held and staged, they, they can be very different. They can be very unique. The organization structures, the people that come and work in them. What is it that's allowed you to persevere, you know, through all of that? I mean, eventually you said you burned out after Rio, but, you know, what was it that allowed you to persevere and just continue on? Because it's not easy. You know, there's a very small group of people that have made this their livelihood and just continued on as games gypsies and, you know, uh, worked in very, very, you know, various locations. What was it that just kept you going? The people, um, the... I love planning and I love detail and my brain is very good at that. It's a skill for me to be able to 
look at a lot of different things and see the patterns and see what works and what doesn't work. Um, it's kind of a bit of a genius, I guess, for me. And so looking at an event, you think, oh, what's the difference between one Olympic Games to another? Well, you throw the place it is and the culture of that place and then you throw all the different people that would work in that environment and you always come up with a different event. Um, so you can apply similar principles but you're always going to have to adapt to the environment. And for me that's really cool because it's always challenging and it's always different and you're always going to a new place and you're always meeting new people um, and always kind of honing the skills that you've learned along the way as well to can I do this one better or how can I do that better for next time? Um, and that also came to me, how can I how can I not get sick and how can I look after myself on this journey? Because I've seen so many people get sick at games time or before games time and they're no good. We want people when they're in the middle of the games to be at their best, not at their worst. So for me, it was always how can we, how can we plan better leading up to the games so that the busiest time is almost before the games and we can get to the games and enjoy them and be healthy and do a really good job. So it was a long progression, but I guess that's, over many, many years where I was heading naturally, um, just as you say, to be able to keep going, how can I get my body to do this one more time and how can I do it better? So what, what do you like to do in your downtime? You know, either between events or, and particularly if you are not working from home, but you're you're on site or you're you know, you've relocated temporarily to Samoa or or to Doha or wherever you're you're or Manchester or Salt Lake or wherever you're working, what do you want to do in your downtime? Um, probably what I did then to what I do now might be a little bit different. Um, back then, so I spent ten years after Salt Lake on the road per per se, traveling from games to games to games. Um, and that was probably a real period where travel for me was, you know, the, the big thing. Um, how, how can I see the world and um, how can I get the most out of every event that I'm at and all the different places? This last 10 years where I came home and worked um, at the Australian Olympic Committee, was brilliant because I lived in Sydney, but I still got to go to games and still got to travel. Uh, so you do probably two planning visits for a games and then the games period. So not extensive travel, but uh, still got to go to places. Um, and then I guess it's different once you have a family. So I have a seven-year-old boy um, and it, it gets harder to leave at that point um, for sure. And so now we do a lot of things around him really, but really for me, I love walking on the beach every morning. I take my dog for a walk. I drop my son at school. I go for a walk and then I come home, start my day about 10 o'clock and um, I eat well. I do yoga. I sleep well. 
Um, and I travel, you know, when I worked here for the Commonwealth Games, I lived in the Commonwealth Village for a month and it was only half an hour up the road, but I came home one day. So, you know, you all understand what it's like to be in that event environment. It's all encompassing. Um, so, yeah, I'm really, really thankful that I get to kind of have 10 years on the road doing events, living overseas, 10 years living in Australia but still travelling overseas. And now I've really been lucky to have a lot of the work that I've done happen in Australia where I don't have to be away from my family, um, you know, a lot of the time. And, and that's an intentional choice as well. I couldn't, I, I, I'm quite torn between being a mum and being a professional person and having a balance of what that looks like and what makes me happy. Well, it sounds to me like you found a pretty good balance. So congratulations on that. And before we get to the end of our little conversation today and we wrap up with our final three questions, any other Salt Lake 2002 stories that you have put in your memory banks in preparation for this little podcast that you want to share? When I, when I think back, it, it's kind of not an individual story. It's just a collective feeling of what I have when I reflect on Salt Lake. And I, I mentioned these guys, but uh, Brooksy and Kada, Bradley Eggett, uh, Pista, they were so wonderful to work with and such amazing human beings. Um, we've been in touch, you know, throughout this whole time. I've run into Brooksy a few times around the event world, so I always love bumping into him. So I hope you do get him on the show. Um, but when I look back at Salt Lake, I think of the people um, that were there and I think of the environment that we lived in. So we would go skiing or we would go um, camping and go fishing. You know, um, Green River was one of the most beautiful places where we went camping and floated down the river fishing. And um, there were also a lot of my mates from Sydney that ended up going to Salt Lake. So a lot of my memories are also around um, a lot of the great people that I already knew from Sydney that you get to have another experience with. And a lot of those people have continued on that I've been friends with and traveled around the world with too. So um, a really nice mix of just a beautiful place to be, an awesome event to work on. Um, a, a lot of parties. We all had good fun going out. Um, a lot of great uh, parties. The one that was, I think, around the rings, was it called, where we all had different shirts to start in a team and accreditations and you went from house to house and tried to end up with the same coloured shirts or something. I don't know. I can't remember. Um, but, you know, events like that was just, yeah, fantastic. So lots of great warm feelings around Salt Lake and the people and the experience. Well, the Around the Rings thing has made it onto a couple of the podcasts. A few people <laughs> talked about that. So I didn't, I didn't do that, but I, it must have been great. Fishing, that sounds fascinating. Did you catch any fish? Did. And did you release them or did you keep them and eat them? A bit of both. So this particular trip to Green River, we um, we had a campsite up the top of the river and they give you like a big uh, floaty lilo kind of thing. And there was four of us, I think Marianne, Jackie, me, and maybe Simon Wadley. 
were in this floaty thing and we all had fishing lines and you could literally see the fish all around you. So you just threw your line out and you would catch a fish. Um, so we caught way too many to eat, but cause we were camping, uh, we definitely kept, I think maybe two, but you float down the river and then at the end they come and pick you up in the four wheel drive and take you back to your campsite. So we just spent all day floating down the river. It was incredible. Uh, sounds amazing. Sounds amazing. Well, I'm getting hungry now. I want to have some, <laughs> had some salmon last night for dinner. That was quite good. Delicious. Uh, tonight, but, uh, uh, trout's always good. All right. Well, this has been a lot of fun, Lisa, catching up. I've, I've really, really enjoyed it. To wrap us up, we'll go with our, our three questions. And the first question is, uh, well, it's, it's about music. I love music. And that's why I asked this question. And the question is about a song that reminds you of your time in Salt Lake. It doesn't even necessarily need to be a song that you like, but anytime you hear it, your mind just immediately turns right back to Salt Lake 2002. Yeah, this was an easy one for me. And uh, I think it's already been mentioned too. I'm sorry, I can't bring a new one, but it's pink. Get this party started. Um, I do remember listening to that in the car on many occasions, um, driving to venues. Um, and it just always starts stuck in my mind. Um, I love pink. I've seen her a couple of times in concert and it uh, reminds me of Salt Lake all the time. All right. Pink it's on the Spotify playlist. So listeners can go there and see all the songs that have been nominated by our guests. Now let's turn to food. Another favorite topic of mine. And was there a particular restaurant or a bar or establishment that you like to frequent while you were living and working in Salt Lake city? Yeah. Can I name two? Is that okay? Of course. Yeah. Um, the Globe Cafe, definitely. So I became friends with, um, well, we were all friends with them really, but they allowed me to take in a tub of Vegemite and leave it at the shop. So we would get uh, bagels with butter and Vegemite on of a morning, which was amazing. <laughs> and I also used to go out with them. Just we'd go listen to music or go out to bars or they actually were really good friends. So that was also nice because it was someone outside of work that, I could. Being an expat, you don't have friends. And when I first got there and there, I didn't know anyone. It was great that I was able to actually go out with them and just have friends that you didn't work with. So I love them for their food and their friendship. Um, and then Ichiban, Japanese, was one of my favorites that I used to love going to. Um, and they had the best sushi. I, I wouldn't think of Salt Lake as being a place for sushi, but... Um, it was incredible, fresh, delicious. I loved it. Yeah, it's funny. The sushi, who would think that Salt Lake City, which is, you know, 700 miles from the nearest ocean, would yeah. have any sushi, but it actually does. Is it so, still open? Um, I don't think that location is. I think there's a different location, but, uh, and the Globe is no longer there, of course. It's I gone. Know. Yeah. A lot of the restaurants that were around the Wells Fargo building have long since uh, vanished or, you know, it's a, it's unfortunate, but that's the way the world is when it comes to restaurants, but we've got those uh, on the list and any restaurants that still remain, we have a map and hopefully one day we'll actually be able to go see the restaurants that are still in operation. Now, the final question is my goosebump question. So you had a lot of great memories there working with wonderful people in Salt Lake city and doing a lot of fun things, but is there one moment that just makes you feel all warm and fuzzy inside? 
I think I might have spilled the beans too early. It, it was definitely coming back to that opening ceremony and sitting in the stands and just I remember sitting there looking up and feeling, you know, how beautiful snow feels when it falls on your face like you're really alive. And I just felt like these games were alive um, and it was it was magic. Yeah, that that would be my moment from Salt Lake. Yeah, that beautiful feeling of the snow hitting your face, that feels good for about 12 seconds. And then it's like, oh, man, it's really cold out here. <laughs> I'm definitely, I definitely feel alive now. Yep, I'm, I'm alive. I feel really cold. I'm alive. Um, but the opening ceremony was great. I think there's some interesting lessons for our friends in Tokyo who have had to postpone the games. And, you know, questions still are around, well, what's going to happen next year? And and I'm actually in the process of talking with Tokyo 2020 people this week. And, um, and they've, they've mentioned things about, you know, how it's been a bit challenging to maintain motivation and things with all of the uncertainty and with the games being postponed. And, and I remember that period of time after September 11th, where we weren't sure if the games were going to happen or not. Um, and, and there was definitely a part of the population that was thinking, you know what, actually we probably should, we should postpone them or cancel them. And then when they happened, they ended up being a tremendous international global celebration. And I hope the same thing happens with our friends in Tokyo. Yeah, I hope the same, um, Christian. Um, it's a really, you know, a lot of industries and a lot of people have suffered this this year. So um, definitely the event industry is, is one. Um, hopefully with things, you know, in Australia, we just had 65,000 people at a football match, um, and an NRL match. So hopefully, you know, you can see little signs of life that are, are happening. And for Tokyo, they're so ready. Their venues look amazing. Um, I, I feel like, yeah, I, re- I just really feel for them, but, um, yeah, I just don't know. I I hope the games go ahead, um, but I'm I guess I'm sitting on the fence waiting to see if that will happen like the rest of the world. But if they do go ahead, I think it will be that real moment of bringing the world back together again. Um, and I hope that that's a massive success, similar to what it was in Salt Lake. Yeah, me too. Well said, and I and I appreciate Australia kind of leading the way on this. Awesome to hear that you've got 65,000 fans in the stands cheering on athletes. And I think athletes uh, probably more than anyone realize just how important the fans are to have around. It's not always easy to perform in front of empty stadia. Uh, so hopefully we'll have a full stadia of cheering fans uh, in Tokyo 2020 and in your world championships there in 2022 in the world athletics uh, cross country championships and and other uh, amazing events. Well, Lisa, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us. If people want to learn more about the work that you're doing with with uh, Sand and Palm Trees SP (laughs) 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 or or the wellness uh, work that you're doing, which I think is really important, what's the best way for them to contact you? Uh, So I have either Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn, um, either under my name, Lisa Sams, or the two businesses that I run, SP Events and Logistics or Work Into Wellness. So any of those modes will get me. 
All right. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Lisa. Listeners, please like and subscribe to our podcast and we'll catch you again soon. Again, Lisa, thank you. Thank you so much, Christian. It's been wonderful to talk with you and also to reminisce on uh, some wonderful times and and uh, the fun that we've had over the years bumping into each other as well. So thank you very much for having me. 